kit. You can be very kind. For all of my life, I have lived in the UK. And I was thinking back to some of those moments. I remember, this is the late, late 70s, 1978, 79. Some of you may be too young for this. There was so-called winter of discontent. There was rubbish piled up in the streets. There were power cuts. I remember coming home from school and we had a box of candles in a cupboard under the stairs. We would have to get those out because there was no light. I remember that. I lived through the Thatcher years, the miners' strike, poll tax riots. Some of you may remember those. These were polarizing events, but it seemed to me that things are even worse now. We live in a more divided society now. Politically, I'm not going to mention the B word. Economically, the division between those that have and those that don't. Generationally, here's just an example. Here is a map of how people voted at the last election by color of party. Under 25, over 65. Highly polarized. Division along lines of ethnicity. Division along lines of gender. There's a proposal in the last week or so for an all-female cabinet, as if that was going to heal division. Now, I know that many of you here didn't grow up in the United Kingdom. You may have grown up in a country that was way more cohesive, and you're shocked by the level of division that we're experiencing now. Others of you, I know, have grown up or have got family heritage in countries that are way more divided. And that division has kind of worked out in things like genocide and civil war. Bottom line is we're here now. Just to the west side of London, 2019, living in what I think is a highly divided society. At a personal level, many of us experience the pain of division. Statistically, 1% of marriages will separate and divorce this year. 1%. 40% of all marriages end in divorce. So that's a lot of adults and a lot of children that are impacted by division. And that's of those that get married. Many experience the pain of separation, of families becoming estranged, of maybe parents to children, to siblings, division. Here's a question. Do you wish that things were different? That's three of us. Are there any more here this morning? Do you wish that things in our society were different? And do you want to be part of the solution? You're in good company, because I believe that Jesus does too. Jesus lived in a highly divided cultural society, politically divided, divided um, along religious lines, along gender lines, And Jesus prayed into that division. He prayed a great prayer. You'll find it in John chapter 17. And in summary, what Jesus prayed was this. He said, in the same way that I and the Father are completely one, he prayed that his followers would be united in exactly the same way. And see, Jesus' prayer is for that kind of unity. And a primary way that that would be demonstrated into a divided world would be through the church that the church is to tell a new story of unity in division, and the church is to be the answer to a divided world. 
And that's wonderful news, isn't it? Because we all know that churches never have issues of disunity or division. We're about three miles here from Hampton Court. Hampton Court is one of the homes of Henry VIII. That reminds us of a major church split, where the Church of England was formed from division with the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but I know sadly that many Christians have been part of churches that have divided in some way. And it carries huge pain, huge sadness, huge levels of hurt. And let me say this, just because something isn't perfect does not make it bad. I'll say that again, just because something is not perfect does not make it bad. A guy called Ed Stetzer, who's an author and pastor, he, he wrote this, the church is supposed to be the radiant bride of Christ, but sometimes she looks more like Fred. I get that but I need to help her to be a better bride, not go find a new mistress. We're going to talk about being united this morning. If you're here and you say, I'm not yet a follower of Christ, or you're not yet part of a local church, you are incredibly welcome here this morning. I hope that one of the things that you hear is the invitation that Jesus gives to you to be part of a new story that brings unity into a divided world. If you are here and you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, you're part of a church, and I know that many of you here are part of this church, that's why you're here this morning, we, I believe, have been given the glorious task of demonstrating unity into a divided world. So let's turn to the Bible. We're going to look at a few verses from Ephesians chapter 4. It's a letter written by Paul. If you've got a paper version, it's about that way through. If you've got a gadget, dial up to Ephesians. This is part of our series which we've entitled More. Because with Jesus, there is always more. And so we've been reading through and working through this uh, letter from Paul. It's a letter of two halves. The first half, chapters 1 to 3, are what we might call indicative. There are no commands. It is simply Paul unwrapping the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So, for example, chapter 2. We have been made alive in Christ. There is a new humanity that is being formed in Christ. That's chapters 1 to 3. Then it's like Paul pulls a switch in the first verse of chapter 4. And what we'll find is that chapters 4 to 6 are not indicative, they are imperative. They are full of instructions, exhortations, commands. Because of what Jesus has done for you, live a new life. Live the life that Jesus died for you to have. And so then Paul unwraps what that looks like. So let's read from verse 1 of chapter 4. This is the switch. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That is stunning. Let that settle. Filling everything. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, we could spend months on those verses. We're not going to because I know you want your lunch. Well, you notice just how much Paul speaks about oneness, unity. Verse 3, keep unity. Verse 4, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Verse 13, he talks about us until we reach unity and become fully mature. That's the goal. I would suggest that none of us has arrived. That tells us that there is trouble. We're not there yet. That's the goal. Verse 15, he talks about us becoming mature body. Singular, not bodies, mature bodies of Christ. One, united. That's the goal, the church being united. And Paul, the way he emphasizes this, he says this, as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are utterly and completely one, the church, his body, is to point to that reality and to live that reality out to demonstrate what that looks like into a divided world. To reflect the nature of God himself. And we're clearly not there yet. That's why we've entitled this series, Mirror. This is Mirror. The question I want to explore this morning is this. How can I, how can you, be a great church member? How can we do that? How can we do that? If you're not yet a follower of Christ, not yet a Christian, you are off the hook for the moment. But I hope that what I share is helpful to you and is an invitation that Jesus invites you to be part of his family. 
if you are a Christian, I'm working on the assumption that you know that you're called to be part of a local church. I hope that's not a surprise. What, one of my friends is a guy called Jason Clark. Some of you will know him. Together with his wife, Bev, they pastor Sutton Vineyard. Um, Jason Bev also gives leadership to the Vineyard churches in the London region. So, kind of my boss. And he wrote a blog post. It's provocative. So I'm just going to launch into a name into the web. And watch it go off. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian and other fairy tales. Give it a read. Provocative. Let me put this another way. The Bible, one of the one of the analogies that, or metaphors that the Bible uses for church is as the bride of Christ. She's like a wife. I have a wife, Stephanie, I love her dearly. Now, if one of you came up to me and said, Andy, I think, you know, I, I, I think you're okay, I like you, but your wife is a bit ugly. I, I've been struggling to think of the right pastoral response. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I, I won't hit you, um, but I would be I would be very upset. That the, and, and you just imagine those of you that are married, or you've got a good. If someone said to one of your friends, "It's really ugly and, and horrible," you, you'd be upset, wouldn't you? So how do we think Jesus feels when we don't love his wife? don't love the church, I want to suggest that somewhere something has got broken. Something's got messed up. Something is not the way that it should be. Because if you're in love with Jesus, the church comes with it. And so it may be that there are things that have happened which shouldn't have happened in the past in previous church experience. Maybe things were said that shouldn't have been said or done that shouldn't have been done. Maybe there was upset. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was mistreatment. There may be all sorts of things. Maybe some people said you can't do that because you're the wrong gender or you're wrong age or you don't fit. There can be all sorts of things that, that break our view of the church and our attitude towards the church. I just want to say this morning, if that's you, would you bring that to Jesus today? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and, and I have way too many conversations with people who have been hurt by church that have allowed it to paralyze their presence and their future. You will not have the fullest experience of what Jesus has for you unless you deal with these things. And today is a really good day to deal with. Because we are in the presence of Jesus. His Spirit is here. There are people around you who love you. So can I encourage you to make the very best of your future by dealing with your past? How can we, how can I be a great church member? The foundation is an understanding that the church is the body and bride of Christ. It's where we have to start. So being part of a church is not like being part of an exercise or social group. It's just not like that. Those things can be great, but they are not church. 
church is the body of Christ. And Paul reminds us, verse 15, the church has Christ as the head. The church is God's idea, not our idea. And so church, with all its peculiarities and imperfections, is still the beautiful bride of I believe that church is amazing. Church is the hope of our world. If we think church is just an ordinary thing, we'll treat it as an ordinary thing. But for me, church is an extraordinary thing. It is the body and bride of Christ. And so that's our foundation, is a belief that it is true, that it is the body and bride of Christ it is the body through whom Jesus acts to bring healing into this world. And when we view it as such, I believe that we will act and think differently. So that's the foundation. From that foundation, how can you and I be great church members that we stand united and we tell a story of unity into a divided world? How is that possible? I want to share six things. First thing, I want to be a great church member. I'm going to love and prefer others above myself. That's where I'm going to start. I'm going to love and prefer others. See, disunity takes hold in our lives when we think that our personal preferences and desires are the best and there is no other way. So that song is the best song. It should be done in this way every week. What word gaming have you done? These are the right donuts. This is the right way to do things. That's where disunity Look at what Paul writes, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul also wrote Romans, Romans 12, he writes it this way, honour one another above yourself. I've spoken about Pete Gregg already. He tweeted this out a couple of weeks ago. He said, remember that the gospel doesn't primarily promise self-actualization or self-employment, but rather self-sacrifice and a life of service to others and Christ's glory. If this sounds like bad news, we've not understood the good news. Loving one another. Loving one another also means, or part of it means, that we will deal with difficulties when they arise. You know, a church is no different than another family. Issues and challenges arise. Now, there's what I think is a really bad way of dealing with that, which is just walk away and throw your toys out the front. Paul offers us a better way, a more mature response. And he, and he points to that in verse 15, where he says this. Speak the truth in In general, what I have found is that Christians dislike confrontation. Christians are not good at dealing with issues. Christians are way better at sweeping stuff under the carpet. Way better at doing it. You know when you sweep stuff under a carpet, what you set up is a trip hazard. It, it will come back. It doesn't go away. And I think it's because of a misplaced idea around family and love, meaning that we don't deal with stuff. There is a better way. To speak truth in love and 
continually be proclaimed and obeyed. Second thing, I want to be a great church member. I'm going to fully play my God-given part. I'm going to fully play what God wants me to play. In, in the middle of the verses that we read, verses 7 to 13, there's a rich section of teaching, 7 to 13. It talks about the way that the Lord gives gifts to his people and how these gifts are to enable the church to be built up, become mature, and to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, let that just settle for a moment. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is Jesus' goal for us. And by the way that happens, verse 16, as each part of the body does its work. As we play the full part that Jesus wants us to play. That's all he's asking. That we play the part that he is asking us one of the things that I've observed is that disunity is fed by jealousy. When we look at what somebody else has and says, I wish that was mine. So it's when we look at, you know, you, you might play an instrument and you say, I just have nothing like that playing that instrument. I could do way better than that. And, and we, we can do, and we, we can do that in so many different ways where we take the gift and the grace that God has released to someone else and say, I wish that was mine. But in a way that's not an edifying kind of way. Here's the thing. If we were to grasp the enormity of what God has for our life, we would be in far less preoccupied about what he's doing for his life. You see, if I were to grasp just the enormity and the beauty of what Jesus wants to do in my life and through my life, I would be utterly stunned. And I would suggest that's the same for you. If you the fullness of the purposes and plans that God has for your life, it would blow your socks off. And you would then have no thought. I mean, you'd love what he's doing for other people, but you wouldn't want it, because there would be so much of what he wants to do for you. And unity grows as we commit to playing our part in the church. Third thing, how to be a great church member? I'm going to commit to growing in faith. I'm going to commit to growing as a Christian. Paul's goal for his readers would be that they grow up. Did you see that through these verses? A number of times he says, you know, maturity. You're becoming mature. Verses 14 to 15 says, no longer infants, but becoming mature. And at this church, we talk about six things that can help us to grow in our faith, to grow on that journey of becoming mature, but also help us to be really well involved in the life of the local church. We've put them onto these postcards. We're just going to pass around what they can thank you. Some of you will have things at home already. Wonderful. If you don't or you don't know where the postcard is, grab it. On one side, it has our vision as a church. And on the other side, it has these six things which will really help us to grow in faith. And so just as these are passing around, do grab one. I'm just going to very briefly talk through these six things. The first is this. If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, engage with the Bible each day. Find a way of engaging with the Bible. Second thing is be part of a weekend service each week. Now, for some, that's a habit already. For others, and I, I've sort of thrown this out there, 
it might be a good reminder to put Sunday in your diary. Or to put where Sunday appears, put, I'm going to go to church. So that the habit becomes less of a once in a six weeks or four weeks or once a month, but it becomes a weekly habit. That you commit to that. Third thing, be part of a small group. If you're not currently part of one of our small groups, go over to the welcome point at the end of the service and the team there will help you connect with one of the groups. Fourth thing, give generously. Our giving is one of the most tangible ways that we demonstrate our faith and we demonstrate that we're in, that we're part of a church. Fifth thing, serve wholeheartedly as part of a team. That's how families work, as everybody gets involved. And it's the same in a church family. So if you're not part of a team right now, again, we'd love to help you. Um, but again, the best place is over at the welcome point at the end of the service. And the sixth thing is to engage in community, to be Jesus in the world. As you go from here, you'll be going into a neighborhood, into a workplace, to the gym, to the shop. Be Jesus, engage, because you are a carrier of hope and life into those environments. So six things. I believe that if you commit to these things, you will grow as a follower of Jesus. It will happen. Fourth thing I'm going to share. If you want to be a great church member, I'm going to pray for my church and my leaders. I'm going to pray. If you've read Paul's letters, you've probably noticed this already, just how much he is praying for the churches that he is writing to. The churches that he's planted. He often names the leaders by name, and he's praying for them. So, would you be like Paul? Would you be like pray for the church worldwide? Pray for this church if you're a part of this church, and pray for those people that lead you. And here's a good prayer: pray that the church would be a good signpost to the oneness that we find in God, Father. Same way that God is one, that the church will be part of that new story of unity into a divided world. It's a great place to pray. Fifth thing, be a great church member. I'm going to make every effort to promote unity. And Paul says that almost word for word. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How do we do that? There's just a couple of ways. Talk well of those people that you're in church family with. Just talk, just talk really well about them. When they're present, and especially when they're not present. In other words, avoid the lethal trap of gossip. Just talk, choose to talk well. Choose to kill criticism and speak encouragement. Choose to stand with people in your family when things are going well and when they're not going well. Through thick and thin. Make a choice. Fight for unity. Fight when things don't go well, when you have a disagreement with someone. Work for it. Don't work for yourself. There is a better way. Fight for unity. So, we do what we can do. We committing, we're, we're loving and preferring others, we're playing our full part, we're committing to growing in faith, we're praying for our church and its leaders, we're making every effort to keep unity, 
sixth thing, last thing I'm going to say. I want to be a great church member. I'm going to trust that Jesus will do his part. Bottom line, after I've done what I can do, after you've done what you can do, let's trust that Jesus will do his part. Why can we believe that? We can believe it because he said it. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. So let me ask you a question. When you drove in or you walked in this morning, you came through some gates. Was anyone here concerned that those gates would attack you? Anyone? You, you walked in and you thought, they could just jump off their hinges and have a right go at me. Was anyone concerned at that level this morning? No. Now, we're not going to do this, but I reckon a bunch of us could go out there and do some damage today. Don't you I reckon we could rip a few of their hinges and we could do some... And that is Jesus' point, isn't it? You don't need to be worried and scared because actually the church that I am building will overcome the divisive and disunifying work of the enemy. Because Jesus is building a church that writes a new story in the world. You know, we have an enemy who loves division and destruction. And Jesus is building a church that will take back territory and write a new story of unity, healing, and belonging. I asked at the beginning, would we want to see the world different? Would we want to be a part of that? Let's just sit down. This is the way that Jesus has purposed to bring unity and division in the church. It is through his church. And ultimately, the division that Jesus healed is the separation that we have between ourselves and others. That's the ultimate division in our world. And it's a division that is caused by us going our own way, what the Bible calls sin, and it forms a division. It causes a division between us and the world. The wonderful good news of the Christian faith is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, division is overcome. That new life comes because of what Jesus did. That the ultimate division And so, I would love to pray a prayer for all of us this morning. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to pray a prayer that, that says to us, that, that basically says that Jesus, I'm in. I'm going to do all that I can to be part of writing this new story of unity in the divided world. I'd also like to include a prayer for any here this morning that haven't yet said yes to Jesus, because He is inviting you to, to, not, to no longer be divided, but to find oneness with Him find peace with him and to find peace with his family, to be invited into his family and to be at peace with the world and the universe around us. So if we just bow our heads and then we'll pray and then we'll have an opportunity to pray with and for one another. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. You love every one of us so much that you were, you love us enough that you were prepared to make a way for us to know you fully. You, you, you loved us enough, you loved me enough, to make a way for me to come into your family, to, 
still hurt. There, there is still a, a remnant of hurt. I want to strongly encourage you to be to be hospitable, because the fullness of the more that enhances you will be hindered by the harshness of the more. And there is healing today, and there is freedom today, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the spirit of the Lord is here, so we can with full expectation, take a step towards freedom in our lives.